Sean Madison. How are you doing, sir? From the great state of good morning, Indiana. Yes, good morning. Good to be with you. Doing well. Doing well. Awesome. Well, we are so excited for you to uh, to be our guest for a little bit of a webinar, I guess, but uh, exploring Gen Z and millennial attitudes of the 2020 election. So uh, for those who don't know, Sean has experience working with political campaigns and uh, positioning towards demographics. And so we're going to explore uh, recent events that are shaping how our elections are going to look. Uh, spoiler alert, we're not going to talk about COVID because we're all tired of talking about COVID, but we're going to, uh, we're going to jump in and uh, get going. So let's see, let's toggle the screen just a little bit and uh, let's get started. So let's see. Difficulties. <laughs> zoom, uh, learning learning to zoom all over again is definitely right. a challenge in and of itself. Twenty twenty for you. You think you know how to uh, work everything, and then you find out you don't know how to work everything. So very true. So as we said, this is about Gen Z and millennial attitudes of the 2020 elections. Our three questions that we're going to explore in the next 20 to 30 minutes is one, will Gen Z and millennials vote? Two, political motivations of Gen Z. And three, the Biden-Harris VP ticket. Um, some may ask, well, why not discuss the Trump-Pence VP ticket? Uh, because that has been successfully solidified for about four years. And so there's likely, uh, at, for this episode, there's not really a point in, in uh, exploring that just yet. Biden and Harris are relatively new as an announcement and uh, worth our exploration during this webinar. So Sean, the question is, will Gen Z and millennials vote? Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, just for good, just for good measure. Um, so I have people who uh, earnestly believe that Gen Z is this powerhouse voting generation. Uh, I don't see that, and I don't see it just because of the stats and uh, information that I come across. So, you know, for instance, from 2012 to 2016, there's only been a, there was only a 1.1% increase in voting for the 18 to 29 demographic. And in 2016, I believe that would have been uh, almost dominantly millennials voting. Uh, Gen Z maybe, you know, got a few votes in here and there, but they were, you know, 18, maybe 19. So in 2016, and I always tell people, you know, go back and look, like, did they vote? Uh, we remember during the, the DNC convention in 2016 of, you know, lots of pop stars, lots of energy, things like that, but it didn't turn out the vote that they hope. So Gen Z and second wave millennials were 
I say only, maybe that's more significant than I'm giving it credit for, were only 13% of the electorate. And out of those, the demographics of that electorate, about two out of three voters in that demographic were women, and only about one out of four were men between Gen Z and millennials. So my question for you is if you are a Trump-Pence or a Biden-Harris ticket, how are you going to get Gen Z and millennials to vote when historically they're, you know, in the last two elections, it's been like 12% and 13% of the electorate? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and I think it's a question that every campaign, regardless of whether it's on the national level or state or local level, is trying to figure out. Um, is how do we get the youngest of our voting of our voting uh, demographic to vote? Um, what will drive them to the polls? You know, in every generation, there's always one kind of one or, or a couple of bell bellwethers of, of determining why um, members of that generation are so excited and enthusiastic about voting. Uh, for some, it may have been they went through a war and they saw how differences in, in, a, in presidential policies could really drive the nation in different directions. Um, for for generation like myself, I grew up in the the post 9/11 world. Um, I was a, I was five or six years old six years old when 9/11 happened. So that's one of the motivators for why I vote. Granted, again, I'm not necessarily a full fledged Gen Z. I'm more of a cusp between millennials and you, Gen Zers. You do like to make that delineation all the time. So I do because I'm literally right on the edge. Um, so I kind of fit both molds. Um, but again, there has to be something that will drive them to the polls. Now. With Gen Z, it could be COVID, and it could be how they see their government has responded, and they may have not agreed with how the government responded uh, with with COVID. That could be one of the one of the determining factors. But that won't happen. We won't know that until several election cycles from now. Um, but as far as determining, you know, what each campaign can do to reach Gen Zers um, and millennials, is for one, you have to go to them. It's not about them coming to you. You know, they're not. They are very much um, of the ability of the mindset that they can determine their own destiny, and that their groups of friends can determine, um, you know, how they uh, are successful in life. So if you don't go to them, you're not going to get any votes at all. Uh, for the, for the, you're not going to get a majority of the votes. Let me put it that way. Um, part of it also goes back to um, how they grew up, right? So many Gen Zers grew up in households. Uh, with with millennial parents or are going up in households with millennial parents who you know they voted they vote on some things but they don't vote on everything and they're kind of apathetic so if you have that per household where more households are generally are generally tending to be apathetic then you're going to have less voter turnout and participation in the following generation hmm. um so that's another another aspect of it but what are the hot button issues that affect uh, Gen Z today or that Gen Z are passionate about that are knowledgeable about. You're not going to walk up to a Gen Z or and say, hey, let's talk about tax policy um, for the most part, but yeah. you are, you, you can walk up to them and have a conversation about climate change, sure. um, about our carbon footprint. You know, you can talk about, um, um, you know, issues concerning the poor, issues concerning housing. Um, those are issues that we, that Gen Zers care about and are passionate about and unfortunately, neither party's ticket has that as a front and center of their campaign. Right. And I think too, one of the one of the issues or one of the things that that campaigns 
in the 21st century have to realize is that you have to make boring policy. I mean, boring black and white snooze fest policy relatable and real to the everyday voter. Whether that's the everyday voter who is 70 years old or the everyday voter who just started voting at 18. You mm -hmm. have to make it real to them and you have to be able to diversify your message the same, the same principle of the message, but diversify the message to reach a, an 18 year old and a 70 year old, right? You're not gonna reach a 75 year old with, with, a, with, an, with an iPhone message and you're not gonna meet, reach a, a 18 year old with an eight track message. I'm not saying that all 75 year olds listen to eight tracks and that's <laughs> the iPhones either. That's not what I'm saying, disclaimer right there. So they have to be more creative. And what we've seen is that they're not creative is that they rely on their bases of, um, well, they grew up in a Republican household, they're going to vote Republican. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. Or they grew up in a Democratic household, they're going to vote for Democrat. That's not the case. Um, you know, we have to reach them individually. It, it involves going to campuses. And that's why when I was in college, one of the most pivotal, um, uh, what would you call it, um, determining factors in how to get college turnout um, in the cities that they live in was for candidates to come to the college campuses and meet with them. But how do we get the students there? We had to incentivize extra credit points for different classes. Mm. We had to incentivize food. You know, we, there has to be some sort of incentive to, as to why they should support you um, in, your, in your campaign. So you've got to go and pinpoint directly to them. Um, it can kind of go into, um, this this area of identity politics of well, I'm just going there to get their vote and I'm just going to forget about them. Well, I think um, Democrats and Republicans have learned in the past few years that doing that for decades isn't sustainable uh, for mm -hmm. for the life of the party. So, um, yeah, all that to say that you know at the end of the day they have to go directly to them and figure out what their needs are and address their needs based on the principles of their party's platforms and then try to convince them why their platform is better than the others. Because in politics, it is salesmanship. It is determining why what I'm pitching to you is better than what they're pitching to you in the long run. And here's how it can better affect you. That's great. That's great. We're going we're gonna to hold, I, I want our viewers and listeners to hold on to that thought of uh, connection. Uh, a word that came to my mind was authenticity. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna hold on to that thought uh, for the very end because something just occurred to me uh, about Gen Z's buying patterns, and so we'll explore that in just a little bit. So moving on to our next question: the political motivations of Gen Z, um, and I think this is worth mentioning or meaningful to mention uh, is that ethnically, one out of two Gen Z are not Caucasian. Uh, but fewer Gen Z are immigrants. And uh, as you mentioned, Gen Z believes that climate change is due to human activity at 54%. Actually, millennials believe that at a 2% rate higher uh, than Gen Z do. Uh, and, and we say this to segue into this Pew Research poll that we have here in the slide, is that Gen Z, more likely than other generations, want an activist government. Uh, so seven out of 10 essentially believe that the government should do more to solve problems. Um, and 
only th about three out of 10 believe the government is already doing too much and we should leave this to businesses to solve these problems. So uh, with, with these two issues of like climate change and government activism um, or the government having a more prominent role in our daily lives, what do you think that a Trump Biden or I'm sorry, Trump Pence or Biden Harris ticket should do to capture the attention of these Gen Z and second wave millennial voters? Yeah, that's a very, um, very good question um, that I don't have all the answers for. Um, you know, I, I, I'll definitely offer my two cents. And just a disclaimer, I am not the authority on uh, Gen Z and political interaction by any means, or millennials and political interaction. Um, but you know, I think one of the one of the areas is that um, every generation kind of has an uprising when they are of age to vote, when they are of age to be an adult, where that uprising says we're going to take this power into our own hands. We're going to we're going to take. The, the country and we're going to shift it into a direction of which we choose um, because we can, right? We have that power now. But in, in that, that, that rebel type mindset in some ways is kind of in our American blood. It is in our, our story so where people who were in their, yes, for sure. Um, where people who were in their teens, twenties and thirties, you know, fought against a, a country, fought against an empire and, and founded, um, founded a new nation. So when we look at those things though, there were problems when we look at the founding of this nation, there were lots of problems and lots of issues. Um, so when we, when we go back to today, we see that a lot of the things that, that we're pushing for, that Gen Z is pushing for, politically speaking, um, are lacking in knowledge and lacking in education of how our system works. Mm -hmm. Well, then the response to that is, well, why don't we just do away with the system? But there's a, there's a system to do away with, there's a method to do away with the system. Mm -hmm. And we're not following that method. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, not, it's less about being cavalier in our approaches to um, trying to reform the system than it is about actually affecting systemic change. Mm -hmm. I, something I say all the time is, I don't want an overnight policy shift where, with an overnight fix. Uh, for, for issues that have been plaguing our country for decades and centuries. I want a long thought out painful process and painful policy shift that isn't because to me, the quicker it is to fix, the easier it is to undo that fix and to go back to where we were, sure. if not worse. Sure. Um, so, you know, policy is slow. Policy is painful. Governing is painful. Governing is slow. Um, you know, but there's a reason for that. There's, and the reason for that is that you are working out and you're hashing out every single possibility necessary mm -hmm. you are going through every possibility to make sure that you are including as many people as possible that no one is being left out um, on the table and the problem with that is is that for so long people have been left out and with those people being left out um, those people have their voices have been amplified that's a good thing because we need to know that those people have been left out to begin with right but the method in which we fix those issues are not necessarily what we're seeing in the streets today. Um, so when, when I look at the, the fact of one out of two Gen Z are not Caucasian, um, you know, just because we might be eliminating or we might have fewer racial 
biases um, or free racial, fewer, less racial bias mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean that there still aren't issues that of inequality that we need to address today. Absolutely. Um, you know, on, on the issue of climate change, many Gen Zers, I mean, I'm surprised that number isn't higher when it comes to um, climate change due to human activity is due to human activity for Gen Z. But I think a lot of that also has to do with education. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not really taught about climate change when we're growing up in school. We're not taught about um, <clears throat> what exactly is climate change. I remember when I was in eighth grade, I think it was eighth grade, we watched a video, we watched Al Gore's um, An inconvenient warming video. Truth. Yeah, An inconvenient yeah. truth, yes, yes. Um, and that was all I learned about climate change or global warming in mm-hmm. school at all. So that was all I had to go off of. Um, but in the same sense, we do have we have a, a plethora of information at our fingertips called our phone. And um, are we looking to our phones for information? Are we looking to reliable sources on our phones, not just Twitter, uh, for information? Um, or are we are we no. spending it? No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you're right. <laughs> um, we're not. We're spending it being busy for entertainment purposes, like TikTok, which I have devolved into the TikTok uh, world, and it is definitely, um, definitely tragic to to, to go down that hole because you, you're there for several hours and you're like, well, what could I could what could I have been learning in this these four hours that I've been watching crazy stupid videos? So all that to say that you know an activist government isn't necessarily something that is American. At its core, mm-hmm. um, outside of baseline policy principles that you can relate to the American people, because mm-hmm. again, the purpose of government is not to be in your face all the time. Mm-hmm. The purpose of government is to be as much out of your life as possible, so that you could live independently, so that you can live, or the purpose of American government, so that you can live independently, so that you can live um, and determine your own destiny without mm-hmm. government intervention every step of the way. Um, sure. So I think that once Shin Z begins to enter the workforce and sees how, how that system um, mm-hmm. is, then I think that maybe some of those, those feelings might change sure. um, when it comes to an activist government, right? Um, my last point, I, my, one of my dear friends, uh, her, her dad always says, uh, or always told her, she grew up very, very, um, she considered herself a socialist, uh, a communist socialist when she was growing up in a very conservative household. Mm-hmm. And um, her dad told her that she will definitely move towards the center when she has to raise or when she has to pay taxes. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be true for her. She's definitely more of a moderate now than anything in the world. But I always like to bring that up because we're all, in theory, we're all pro these exciting things mm-hmm. until we actually have to do the groundwork and the policy work. Hmm. So there, there's a few thoughts that that I think are interesting because I was at a gathering last week and I'm the Gen Z guy, right? So people are asking me questions and, and uh, they're, they're saying, well, Aaron, Gen Z is going to vote conservative this fall, right? And I go, it depends. And, and it's yeah. a mixed bag because Gen Z is, they are, they tend to be financially conservative or economically conservative but socially progressive. And I think that's a challenge that neither of the two candidates can, can really uh, have presented that. So, and we'll, we'll dive into that here in a second. Um, sure. And 
I think the I think another question is, you know, kind of going back to will Gen Z get out and vote, is that there's plenty of anecdotal stories of, and the example that you gave of well, how do you get students to interact with the actual politician? You know, how do we incentivize them to come out? And that is continuing to be a challenge because you have Gen Z who say, "Ooh, yeah, I'm excited about the issues, but I don't know." where to begin to vote, which is weird because like you said, that's a Google search and they're, they're not tapping into, into that. And then I, so with that said, um, you know, we've, we've point, we pointed out a lot of information here uh, that potentially is going to shape and affect uh, the election in November. So I just want to go ahead and dive right into um, the uh, the most some of the most recent news uh, of the Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ticket. They are. I'm, I'm not trying to like put any bias in this presentation. Um, if you've read some Atlantic articles uh, and some others, even those uh, those thinkers on the left are questioning the efficacy of of this ticket. But again, 2020 voting, one out of 10 eligible voters are Gen Z. 22% say they plan to vote for Trump, which leaves the other, you know, about 78% of, of eligible Gen Z voters. Um, if you're a Gen Z voter, does Biden and Harris appeal to you? What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, that's a that's a yes or no question. Uh, yes <laughs> or no answer. Um, yes to some, but no to no to others, or yes to many. I think and no it's. To many. Uh, I think it's actually it depends. I think that's it's the. <laughs> but it, it is also it, and it depends, right? So um, I have friends who are um, very involved in the democratic operative world um, and they are excited about this possibility because about this this ticket um, because they think that this is definitely the key to them winning because it is a very safe ticket it's a Mm -hmm. very traditional ticket it is not the not the normal what we've had for the past four years Mm -hmm. where we've kind of have policy going here there and everywhere all all the time and Mm -hmm. policy shifting for no uh, with no clear explanation as to why those policies are shifting until after those policies are shifting. Sure. Not saying sure. that that's a bad thing or a good thing, but that's just the nature of the last four years. Um, but then I also have friends who are on the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party, or who don't even like the Democrats to begin with, but they're just progressives. Sure. And they're very upset, right? So they're still harboring the, their 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 disappointment with the fact that. Um, um, Senator Sanders or Senator Warren didn't win the nomination. Yes. Um, and the fact that Senator Sanders kind of uh, so we meet so quickly just kowtowed to um, to Vice President Biden. Um, so they're more upset that they, that he picked Kamala because in the in the era of everything going on, um, Kamala was a former cop, as they yep. say. Um, she was the lead of the top cop in California. But at the same time. My two cents is that Kamala is definitely more of a progressive candidate. She's more progressive than Joe Biden was when it comes to these modern day policies, because mm-hmm. she was in the 
policy position to to uh, not necessarily to create policy as attorney general, but to determine how those policies were enforced as attorney mm-hmm. general and as San Francisco, San Francisco district attorney. Mm-hmm. So she has more of a footing and she's closer to that, to that more progressive action sure. than, um, than, than the vice president Biden would be. Um, but with that being said, it, it really doesn't depend to, in my opinion, my estimation, it doesn't depend on whether or not people are excited to vote for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. It's more about what is their enthusiasm for getting Donald Trump out of office mm-hmm. or wanting Donald Trump to stay in office, mm-hmm. right? So I was I read a, a poll yesterday and it said that 30, 36% of Democrats are excited about Joe Biden being having the possibility of being president and mm-hmm. they're excited to vote for him. Whereas I think another 58% said that they just are voting for him because he's not Donald Trump. Right. That's a clear lack of enthusiasm, which yeah. matters, but it's not the only determining factor in, a, in an election cycle. So let me pause um, you right there. Um, just hang on to that thought, because this is what I was alluding to when uh, just a few minutes ago, is that w- one thing that that I speak about is the reality that Gen Z wants a type of transparency and authenticity in the brands that they buy or the influencers that that they allow to influence them, you know, via Instagram or YouTube. Sure. And so with what you and part of that also is Gen Z um, is not as enthused about politics, maybe as millennials want to force that that uh, that perspective on them. So when it comes to the issues of authenticity and transparency, like we could say, and I think, I think this is accurate, uh, Donald Trump is authentically a jerk. Um, his Twitter feed is authentically uh, troubling and antagonistic, like, but that's authentically him. So my question is with like a Joe Biden and a Kamala Harris, are do they have that authentic factor that would appeal to a Gen Z or second wave millennial voter? As a, as a cusper, you're, you're right there in the middle, like literally right there in the middle of Gen Z and, and second wave millennials. Um, just unpack that for us in the next like couple of minutes. Sure. So <clears throat> I think that Joe Biden has more of an ability, and this is going to be shocking. Um, Joe Biden has more of an ability to be authentic than Kamala Harris does. Okay. Um, you know, many people have said that, and um, they said this for a few years now, that Kamala Harris is almost like the Ted Cruz um, of the Republican Party or of the Democratic Party. That's because she's a good person for the party's morale, for the party's principles, uh-huh. but there's just something about her that people question. And there's something about her motivations that people question, mm. but they can't pinpoint it, right? Mm. But they have, but they know that there's something about her that they question. And it's not just a handful of people; it is a vast majority of people of independents, especially. Mm-hmm. Like we don't really know her motives. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. We saw how she was on the debate stage with Joe Biden and how she ripped him to pieces, but we're also seeing how she's so kind and lovey-dovey. Now, mm. part of us would say, "Well, that's politics." Um, but other other people would say that well that was that was a really personal attack, 
So maybe that's not necessarily just politics, mm-hmm. right? So they, they, they're questioning that. Gen Zers are questioning that, that aspect of, of authenticity. And it's, well, you just want to be friendly with him because you want to be vice president. Sure. Um, they're sure to, I'm sure there's some merit to that um, here and there. But in addition to that, Gen Zers want to see her as, as um, a real person. You know, mm-hmm. they want to see her as someone that they know. They can go back and look at Joe Biden and hear his story and see that he's more, more of a real person that they know. Right. They can go to Donald Trump's Twitter feed. They can watch the Donald Trump news conference and know that that he is very real and authentically himself. Whether we like him being himself, sure. that's another conversation. Um, but I mean, but the same goes for 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 Vice President Pence. People don't necessarily view him as this authentic, real person mm-hmm. rather than just this person who can sometimes be fake for the sake of trying to get his his, his way or try to get his policies promoted. Right. So I think most of the time people are just wondering if he's alive sitting there, I think. Also, when he's in also those very true. He's just very stone-faced, you know. Um, the president can say the most uh, off-the-wall things that we're not used to. Um, and he just sits there with a stone face, nodding his head very gently, you mm-hmm. know. So there are things that, I mean, like everyday commoner like you and I would 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 kind of like raise our eyebrows or frown up at or or whatnot. But you know, it really just depends on on the individual Gen Zer, but it more so depends on their motivation mm-hmm. as to why they're going to vote. And I think that a large part of the motivation as to why people are going to vote, why a large part of the electorate is going to vote this election, mm-hmm. is not because of of, of hope and change. Mm-hmm. It's because of either we want to support, keep supporting President Trump, or we want to get rid of President Trump. Sure. Right. It, it is going to be a referendum on. Donald J. Trump is president of the United States and, and come November 3rd. So, you know, Gen Zers are, are starting to wake up and realize their mistake of not voting in 2016, mistake, if you will, of not voting in 2016, mm-hmm. um, when they said, well, we didn't like Hillary because we thought she was fake, mm-hmm. or we, we, she didn't really appeal to us. She didn't mm-hmm. really do much. She wasn't Uncle Bernie, um, which that's fine and dandy. But we also have to realize that that political candidates are not going to be suitable and mm-hmm. cannot be suitable for every single person who mm-hmm. votes in an election. Yeah. Um, they, they, they're not going to be perfect. There is no perfect candidate. But yeah. what we are, what our job is to do is to make sure that we are voting in those people who most align with our, our views in order to one day maybe have that, that candidate that is as close to perfect as we can, mm-hmm. as we can have. Those are good thoughts. I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit and give you an opportunity to, to tell me I'm wrong. But uh, <laughs> uh, I think, I think Gen Z is going to predominantly stay home. I don't think a referendum is enough to get them excited to come out to vote. Um, now, with that said, we haven't seen any debates. We haven't seen any data on Gen Z viewership or second wave millennial viewership. But I, I, think, I think the biden Kamala ticket is not exciting. And I think the Gen Zers that are paying attention, um, you know, they're not just voting out of an ideological surface like, like every political camp has, uh, but those who are really paying attention, I think 
I, I don't think there's much to be excited about for them for this election either way, um, whether Republican or or Democrat. So, and I think I think there's going to be a huge. I think there's also an authenticity issue. Um, uh, not so much with Joe Biden. Joe Biden is Joe Biden. I mean, Nancy Pelosi said that. She's like, well, he's Joe Biden. That's that's who he is. I mean, uh, I think Kamala is, I think it's still the unknown factor with Gen Z about authenticity um, and whether or not some of her past comments about uh, candidate Biden uh, from the debates comes back to work for her or against her in that but i mean the real issue is whether or not gen z is paying attention at all and we just don't have enough data on that right now so yeah. rejoinder and then we'll uh, we'll close this out yeah so i don't disagree with you um in the least bit because but you don't agree it, with me i <laughs> i didn't say that either um <laughs> But I, so I don't disagree because, you know, Gen Z, we have to figure out what if this is going to be enough to motivate them to get out to vote. Right. right. Um, I think that, you know, but, and, and I think what one thing that, that media and that, you know, political operatives and, and just everyday politically involved people get twisted is that we begin to think, and I think that's kind of what messed people up in 2016, is we begin to think that Twitter, Facebook and Instagram um, activists are actually putting their boots on the ground and um, which I don't like that term boots on the ground. Um, but when it comes to this, it's, it's relevant. Are they putting their feet to the pavement to go to the polls to vote? Like, is it, is it worth it to them to vote? Because anyone can tweet, anyone can go, yep. can go viral on Twitter and can, can have a, you know, can create an Instagram story or create a Facebook post. Yeah. Talks about the importance of why they think the selection is, is the last one to save our country. But are you going to do what you need to do to make sure that you go to the polls to vote? And right. don't say, well, oh, oh, I live in a red state, so it really doesn't, my vote doesn't matter. Or, I live in a blue state, so my vote doesn't really matter. So it doesn't matter if I go to the polls or not. It's incorrect. All, all the states are very close to purple these days. I mean, that is a Very reality. much the case. I mean, there are, there are some who are very much more blue versus red. Sure. You know, like, say, in Oklahoma or mm -hmm. Mississippi or Alabama. Sure. But then there are places like Texas, who for the longest time, we would have never thought Texas would be in the toss-up column. Yep. But here, here we are, the Democrats are putting millions of dollars into Texas. Yep. And I think in the next several election cycles, it could be a consistently blue state. Yeah. Um, so, and I know that's going to upset some of my conservative Texas friends, but that's <laughs> the reality. Um, yeah. So, you know, when we look at those things, we've got to see what the determining factors of them to vote is going to be. Now, granted, you and I as two talking heads here on, what is it, August 18th, can, can predict what's going to happen in, in two and a half months. But we won't know until after two and a half months when we do uh, sort of the autopsy on, 20, yep. on 2020 um, in the year that was to determine what, why didn't they vote and, or why did they vote, right? Yeah. So um, I, I do think, but where I do disagree with you still is I do think that it will be referendum on, on Trump Ver, in, in relation to mm -hmm. the electorate as a whole mm -hmm. um, because it's going to be a question of does America want to return to what we had before mm -hmm. and a sense of, of normalcy normalcy or a sense of um, just everyday kind of even keel we can expect what's going to happen next 
yeah. kind of boring, if you will, or do we want this constantly ever evolving White House mm-hmm. um, with the with the Trump White House? Sure. Some people want one or the other. Some people have pros and cons for both. Yeah. That is up to them to just to decide in a um, in a ballot box. I can see pros and cons to having both, um, but that again, that is going to be up to the individual voter to determine. And we will see what happens November third. I am not going to make any predictions. I've been asked to make predictions, but I am is far too early to make a prediction, which is kind of scary to say considering it's two and a half months away. Well, I. <clears throat> I live in a little bit of a red echo chamber here in Colorado and um, everybody's, you know, thinking that that Trump's reelection is is a slam dunk. And I'm constantly reminding people that Trump won, I believe, Michigan and Wisconsin by only 10,000 votes in each state. That is not I mean, that's not a landslide victory. That is, wow, we inched that one out. Um, And so. I think this election is still very much a toss up. Uh, we know that polling in America um, isn't necessarily working anymore. Uh, there's some factors and variables that we haven't adjusted for. So, you know, right now everything is kind of indicating that it's in a dead heat, um, yeah. but we don't know. We just don't know. And like you said, it's, you know, get out the popcorn on, what is it, November 3rd? Is that when? election day you yeah. know, get out the popcorn you know have a barbecue and settle in for a long night because uh, this election is far from from decided so awesome well sean madison thank you so much for being with us on uh gen z deep dive this webinar on gen z and millennial voting and uh, we will be sure to have you back soon because this is always an evolving conundrum so uh, we look forward to having you, having you soon. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Look forward to it.